My friends, here's the good news. It's the news the whole world needs to hear, and it's never on CNN or Fox. But it's right here at God's Word that never fades. It's in every hotel room in Carson City. Thank you, Gideons. And here it is. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received access to this grace in which we stand and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for us. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. We have been redeemed. We have been restored. God's hope is poured into our worst suffering through Jesus Christ, and in him we boast of that great goodness. Tell the world. In Jesus Christ, we have new life. Amen. This morning, we continue in our adventure in the most comprehensive book in the Bible, the book of Romans. And we're in the first half of the eighth chapter, but we cannot really understand and, and get this clear unless we back up a little bit. Uh, the great uh, preacher John MacArthur has said, when you read scripture, you need to read it with 20-20 vision. That means 20 verses before and 20 verses after <laughs> in order to really set the context. And uh, one of the things that they, they teach us at seminary is that context is everything. So let me back up just a, a little bit to uh, chapter 7, verse 13, and I'm going to read from there right through the 14th, uh, 17th chapter of the 8th, uh, verse of the 8th chapter. Paul, Paul asks, actually, uh, verse 11, he says, For sin, seeking an opportunity in the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just as good. Just and good. Then he asks, Did what is good bring death to me? By no means. It was sin working death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown in me through the commandment and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. In other words, we won't be able to keep the law. It will show just how lost we are. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I, I do not understand my own actions. For I, do, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good because it tells me that I have crossed a line. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh, in my old nature. I can will what is right. But I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I do. Now, 
If I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. It's not the devil, it's me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inmost self. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I'm a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. My mind says, God set me free, but my feet, they keep going the wrong way. Then he says here, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's favorite phrase, in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law, which would be death, might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, Christian, are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of of sin, the Spirit is life because of the righteousness of God. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give you, will give life into your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Papa, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God take this word, and through his Holy Spirit, explain it to us, bring it into our hearts, that we may be in Christ for God's glory.
Let's pray. Father, let your good news come now, not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, and you are our salvation. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. I was thinking, uh, the, these words that we've just heard, pretty lengthy and technical passage, I agree. These words might raise a huge question in light of what Paul has just said about his own inability to live a life free of trying to make himself the center of the universe. The question is this, why do we try to do the impossible? Why do we try to do the impossible? Why do we try to perfect ourselves? It's not that these are not noble pursuits. It's just that they result in the definition of insanity. You know what that is? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. As if by our own efforts to rectify our behavior, we will become a new person. You know, we've, we've adopted this phrase in contemporary English vernacular, he reinvented himself. No, he didn't. He just rebranded himself. He put a new sticker on himself. It didn't change anything. It's still the same person inside. And so are we because we cannot make ourselves over again. It, it doesn't matter what you may believe. It doesn't matter what doctrine or, or if you have no doctrine at all. This just doesn't happen. We do not make ourselves new people. If we made ourselves new people, this place would be a whole lot nicer place to live in. But we don't. And the reason it doesn't happen is found in what Paul describes again and again in, in different words. And I, and I love this. Uh, Karl Barth says, the heart of the gospel preaching, for which I'm so grateful, is just to say the same thing over and over again in a different way. I've told people I only have three sermons. I just changed the titles. <laughs> the reality is, the reason it doesn't work the reason this doesn't happen is because of something I often say, and I, don't, I didn't make this up, but people are starting to ask me about this, so I, and I, I'm grateful. It is because we won't find a new life by changing our behavior if we do not accept first that our behavior flows out of our condition. We are addicted to sin. That's what Paul's been talking about. You can change whatever that addiction might be, but it, the reality is, just trying to change our behavior is not going to change our condition. We do not behave, or more, more accurately, we do not misbehave, because, first because of our actions, but rather our actions flow out of our condition that we cannot fix. And we too often think we can. And until we accept this, we will be living at best the insanity of trying to behave better with little, if any, lasting effect. See, apart from being 
in Christ, we don't even know what perfection is. We don't even know what wholeness consists of until we are in Christ. And we will only be able to heal from the effects of our behaviors and those old guilty tapes when the grace of God's Holy Spirit comes flowing into us to make us who we could never be. In decades of ministry, the significant changes that I have seen and that I have personally experienced in my own life have been when the grace of God has been allowed to reach in from the outside to the inside and touch what is really wrong in our lives. It has never happened by someone saying, well, you know what? I'm going to start a new personal self-improvement project, and I'm going to start only when we seek the face of the living God daily, as John has described, will we begin to experience that happening because it will be God doing it, not us. Let me give you an example that illustrates just the very beginning of what God's grace does. And it is just a, a metaphor, and so the metaphor fails, but God's grace doesn't. But here's what happened. For many, many years, I have been plagued with sinus infections and the ability to breathe through my nose. Imagine, I, I, I ran two marathons, 26 miles, having to breathe pretty much just through my mouth. Just proves to you I am insane, but that's another whole issue. <laughs> uh, in the last couple of years, uh, this condition has, condition, notice, it's not been my behavior, it's been my condition, has brought about debilitating headaches. I'll just give you a quick illustration, and I've told some of you about this. Have you ever had an, a brain freeze, an ice cream headache? It lasts like, you know, 15 seconds, and it's uh, paralyzing. I would, I, three days at a time like that. And then two days off, and then back to that. Just utterly exhausting. Anyway, I thought I, I had to just deal with it. I, for 50 years, five, zero years, I had tried everything I could do. In fact, Donald Shearer recommended that I get a bag to hold up all the different things that I had tried, but Donald, I couldn't find a bag that big. <laughs> that was what, it was what was going on. The problem was that I thought what I had was acute. Dr. Rex, I thought it was acute, but there was nothing cute about what I had. <laughs> what I had was a condition. And I probably still have it in, in many ways, because it, it couldn't be perfectly remedied, this side of heaven. I had inherited this condition. I, I kind of knew that. I, my parents both had this same thing, headaches and sinus stuff, and we even moved a few times to try and deal with that. But I figured nothing could be done, because nothing was ever changed in their lives. And my parents lived with it, and I just figured the American way, you just got to tough it out, got to live with it. But when Dr. Stacy Hudson did a CT scan, he showed me what was causing all the misery. And it was something that wasn't going to go away and that I wasn't going to be able to fix it. I needed hands other than my own to come in and do some surgery, some cutting, some modifying of what was going on inside me. And this is what Paul is describing when he talks about those who live in the spirit and those who live in the flesh. I was living in the flesh, trying to fix this. 
It comes down to whether we think we can make ourselves whole or whether we are willing to put ourselves in the hands of God to heal us. And that is a lifelong process of discovery, and it's a lifelong process of surrendering. Now, we're living in a time where the need for healing, to my way of seeing things, has never been greater and at the same time has only been aggravated by thinking that there is something in our human flesh, our power, our technology, or method to make right. Think about it. Every war, every conflict, internationally, globally, in families, neighborhoods, nations, wherever, is, is based on this. Our internal struggles reflect this. When we think, as Paul says in the seventh chapter, we're going to make ourselves right, what happens? We go wrong. We want to be the ones. It's part of our sinful, broken nature. We want to be the ones who figure out just how to make things right. And that's the impossible part. That's the impossible part. We can't and won't solve any of the human issues, morally, socially, politically, spiritually, until the spirit of the living God, the grace of God that Paul describes, is allowed to sweep over our lives and take control of our chronic congenital condition that holds us captive and keeps us captive to trying to heal ourselves. The, the irony is, is that by our flesh, we try to do the impossible. We know, and sometimes the impossible is trying to ignore what's wrong with us. Oh, I'll just put a piece of tape over it. You know, like that light on your dashboard that comes on, you know how to fix it? Black tape. <laughs> it doesn't work. We know in our heart of hearts, we cannot make life what it needs to be in our heart of hearts. We know that, but we want to ignore that. Oh, well, there's got to be something. Where's my Visa card? We try. We try. Only leaving ourselves imprisoned to what we cannot do. And the harder we try, the more that impossibility glares us in its face. But we can be free. Because God is reaching in and doing and wants to do in us what needs to be done. All the while, when we're busy trying to do it ourselves. This is what Paul describes when he says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Why are you doing this to yourself? For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. The law, keeping the rules, is not going to save us. How, does, how are we saved? By God sending his own son in the likeness of human flesh. He became one of us and yet not tainted by sin to deal with the sin. And he has condemned sin in the flesh. He's made our own efforts futile. He said, hey, how's that working for you? You need me. And that's why he came to say, you need me. So that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And what is that just requirement? That our whole life would be given to God, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's what it means to live by the Spirit, to say, I can't get this right. I can't get this right. Did you ever have a, if you were ever in Mr. Glansman's algebra class, you, you would know this. Did you ever have a time where you got the exam, and you looked at it, and you just wanted to walk up to the head of the class, Cheryl, you were in his class, you know, and go, 
Dwayne, I can't do this. You're just going to have to give me a passing grade because I can't even come close. Do you ever want to do that? Do you ever want to go to the DMV and go, you know, I just can't do this. Whatever, professional exams, you name it. I can't do this. That's what God's Holy Spirit breathes into us and says, you can't do this. But it has been done for you. The blood has been shed. The life has been given to give you life. D.L. Moody got it so right. He says, the law tells me how crooked I am. Dwayne, you really did us a favor by making those tests hard. You showed us how impossible it was. Bob, you're sitting right behind him. You did the same thing in biology class. You made those stupid tests so hard, we knew we were never going to be biologists. We were never going to make ourselves whole. That's what the law does. Moody says, the law tells me how crooked I am. Grace comes along and straightens me out. Mm, I love that. When we try to fix ourselves, we, come, we become hostile to God. I don't need you. I don't need you. Nobody thinks they say that, but we do it. We become hostile to God because we try to do what only God can do, and we put ourselves in God's place. And you know what? Here's the amazing thing. Paul tells us in Romans 5, God still loves us when we do that. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. Oswald Chambers, the beginning of the 20th century, put it so well, and it's timeless. He says, the spirit of God is always the spirit of liberty. This is a liberty weekend, isn't it? Who here wants to be free? I mean, really free. Raise your hand. Come on, get them both up. Yeah. Oh, good. You don't look like Presbyterians anymore. I love it. <laughs> the spirit that is not of God is a spirit of bondage, the spirit of oppression and depression. The spirit of God convicts vividly and tensely. But he is always the spirit of liberty. God who made the birds never made bird cages. Don't you love that? God who made the birds never made bird cages. It is people who make bird cages. And after a while, we become cramped and can do nothing but chirp and stand on one foot. Chirp, chirp. When we get out into God's great free life, we discover that that is the way God meant us to live, the glorious liberty of the children of God. You're free. You're free. No matter what depression tries to hold you captive, no matter what has happened, God says, I love you, I've got you, I'm going to make you whole, trust me. When we allow our spirits to rule us, we put ourselves in a cage. It happens whenever we find that our anger or fear or resentment holds sway over us. It happens when the yearnings to be in control make us rely upon ourselves and the values and methods of this world to not to turn us into adopted princes and princesses, heirs of the throne of grace, but instead turns us into orphans on the street who have no real home, least of all heaven. And daily, we're called to find the joy of Christ, not by self-inflicted torment, but and not by being ones who have locked ourselves inside and thrown away the keys, but by being ones who are what Paul says, in Christ. In Christ. It's a gift.
It's a gift. Every day, it's a gift we get to open. We all know that we've locked ourselves in. We all know we've put ourselves in a parakeet cage and, and acted like trapped birds. Whether we know it or, or admit it, we've done it. We have all been at war with God and ironically at war with ourselves. We don't think there's any way out and so we go on. We think it's impossible any other way. We think we must win the battle ourselves. But the Spirit says there is another way. A way that begins when we stop fighting God and let God's impossibility that impossible possibility, find us as we cry out in a way that only the Spirit can enable us to say, Abba, Papa, come and get me. I've blown it again. I'm in a situation I can't fix. Come and get me. My heart is broken. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. Come and get me. Let me finish with this. On this Memorial Day weekend, and every weekend, and every day, and every night, we would be well reminded of what it means to let ourselves be in Christ from an event that happened 153 years ago, just two years after God started this church. And it happened through a man who subsequently found himself in Virginia City. His name was Ulysses Simpson Grant. It seems after a long night of marching, his counterpoint, the General Robert E. Lee, and the exhausted army of Northern Virginia made camp just east of a place called Appomattox Courthouse, Virginia. On April the 8th, Lieutenant General Ulysses S. Grant had sent General Lee a letter on the night of April 7th following confrontations between their two troops at Cumberland Church and Farmville, and he was suggesting to Lee surrender. The Southern general refused. Grant replied, again suggesting surrender to end the bloodshed. Lee responded saying in part, I do not think the emergency has arisen to call for the surrender of this army. Boy, are those our words? I do not think the emergency has arisen to call for the surrender of this person. It's not that bad yet, we say. Though he offered to meet Grant at 10 o'clock the next morning between the picket lines to discuss some kind of a peaceful outcome. Now, having watched the battle through field glasses, Lee then said, there is nothing left for me to do but to go and see General Grant. I would rather die and take a thousand deaths than go. But meeting General Grant at the McLean House, Lee said, we are pressed and ready to surrender. What are your terms? And that's what we need to say to the living God. I am pressed to surrender. What are your terms? And listen to what happened. Surprisingly, it wasn't judgment. It wasn't prison. It wasn't retribution. General Grant simply said, let's stop fighting and start living. Let's stop fighting and start living. Christians, brothers and sisters, 
That is the call of the living God from the, the cross. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Let's stop fighting him and start living in him. He said, give up your weapons, go home, plant your fields. The soldiers who had not eaten in days were given meal rations, horses, mules, and plows, and sent home to start life again. The war was over for many people, but life had just begun, and that's what the living God says to you and me. We all need this new life, and it is only possible as God's Holy Spirit puts it into our hearts to cry out, Abba, Dad, I surrender. I surrender all. You know, we sing that song, but we, we, we sing it from inside our hearts, I surrender some rather than I surrender all. We need to say, Abba, I need you to make me what I cannot make myself. Karl Barth, the wise old theologian, put it this way, where he places law next to our and our ability next to faith. And he says of God's grace, the truly creative act by which people become the children of Abraham, by which stones, us, our hard hearts, are transformed into God's princes and princesses, heirs to the kingdom and throne, does not lie in the possible possibility of the law. Because we all think, oh, I could keep it. But rather, in the impossible possibility of God's great grace. It says, while we are yet sinners, on our worst day, what did God do? He said, I will give my own son to get you out of prison. Isn't this the impossible possibility each and all of us need every day? Isn't this what our world needs to hear? Isn't this what we need to hear in all the fighting and all the contention? Isn't this the only way the war within and the war without will end? If you were here last week, you heard about, you heard a young man. His name was Chai. He's from the hills of Thailand, and he he told about how his mother committed suicide when he was eight years old, and that his father cast him aside a few years later, only to find himself in an orphanage. But it was in an orphanage that he learned about the spirit of the living God. He learned that Jesus loved him and had given his life to set him free. Today that young man, Chai, is going back to those mountains of Thailand to become a pastor and start an orphanage so that others may know the freedom that is Jesus Christ. The good news is that we can know this, and we get to be part of making it known so that others may know the the grace of God's impossible possibility as our lives are lived in Jesus Christ. May that begin today, and may we say, Abba, Father, let me live by your grace, and may it be evident every day of the rest of our lives for God's glory. Father, we we need to be set free from our self-imposed prison of trying to, to make life complete. And we know that can only happen when we surrender completely to you, stop fighting, and start living. Teach us, Lord Jesus, to do that in you. In your precious name we pray.
God loves you. God loves us. God wants to work through us. May we let that happen. And as we do, as we go out of this place, may we realize we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us. He has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it and therefore go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father, in the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.